ready for this? I got one thing to say. Inside the ring. Outside the ring. That I just happen to be the greatest wrestling machine alive. It's all here. What a mega matchup. Universal Wrestling Podcast. I like this kind of party, baby. To the Universal Wrestling Podcast. My name is Nick Dieterding. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to watch this interview, hop onto YouTube and search the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Yes, he's back. Chris Dunn and I sit down with WWE Hall of Famer JBL. This will be a two-parter. Part two will drop after WrestleMania. One last thing, I'm going to pass it to Chris Dunn before the interview so he can talk about his charity. It really hits home for him and many others. If you can donate, that would be awesome. Chris, take it away. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on to promote. Um, but essentially, like I'm doing a, a 10-week charity drive for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I think everyone's dealt with cancer. You know, my my girlfriend and her sister were, you know, greatly impacted when they lost their grandmother. And like they're, you know, my my girlfriend's the most important person in my life. I love her very much. And like through that, she has like such an amazing sister who's like so bright and cool and talented. So that was one of the, like, the many reasons many reasons I decided to help out with this. I think in like a, a bigger context though, like like when you talk about this stuff, you want to personalize it. And I think as wrestling fans, um, when I started at WWE, I was there for five years. You are focused as a writer and a member of the creative team is like, who is the top person? And that's Roman Reigns. When I started, I started um, July 2016, right during the uh, brand split. So everything we did, everything we thought about was Roman Reigns every single day. He was a major part of my life, even though like I worked with him a lot when he came back uh, to SmackDown before, you know, before that, though, I'd probably like produce like a backstage or two and would say hi to him. Really nice guy. Really great guy. Coolest guy. He he feels like a movie star, feels invincible. Um, but I, I don't really know him that well. Um, he's always been really nice to me, but like he was a major part of my life because the job dictates that you have to think about Roman Reigns every day. And I got to the point where I was like really trusted WWE and I knew all the kayfabe creative. Um, and if I didn't know anything, um, I would figure out really quickly because I could put two and two together. Like I, I wasn't supposed to know about Edge returning at the Rumble, but I put two and two together on that. None of us knew what was happening that night when Roman announced he had cancer and he was it came back even though i i don't know roman well uh he was such a major part of my life because it was his my job to think about him and help you know service his career and seeing somebody so strong and so cool and like who feels like this invincible football player movie star have something like a, a disease happen to him like this multiple times is really, really jarring and really makes you think about like how life is short. And this organization, they have leukemia and lymphoma in the name, but 
they have done so much positive research for all types of blood cancers. Um, they have made lives of you know, cancer patients much easier with the research they have done. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you even can donate like $1, it's very meaningful. It's very helpful. You know, if you've had somebody impacted by it, like you, it's probably more meaningful to you than it is to me, but like, I recommend like, we're going to link to the donation page to the organization. Please check it out. Like if you have any money you can spare, it doesn't have to be much. It can be a dollar, $5, even 50 cents uh silver dollars if they still have them so whatever help you can be yeah uh, it would be very appreciative absolutely and that's one of the reasons why i wanted you to come back on thank you nick like my my girlfriend is the most important person in my life and yeah. her, her sister has become in that group they dealt with this like not leukemia or lymphoma but like her their grandmother had cancer and it, it wasn't easy on them so uh any positive impact i can have like or or we can have as like yeah, that's the great thing about wrestling. You know, wrestling fans have a certain language, and you know we're connected. And I'm really hoping that the people listening to this podcast uh, can do their best to support. First question, like with the shooter nickname, the one of the things that kind of stands out about it is like the transition is like my girlfriend always wanted to uh, hear it because she kept on hearing it, like people on the right can talk about it. So <laughs> you were, we were, uh, we were in Orlando, Florida for. Uh, undertaker's 30th anniversary okay and a bunch of people were in the hotel and i saw i saw you with a lot of wrestlers from the edge era and uh <laughs> it, it it really like kind of blew me away like what a collection of amazing icons that you kind of came up with this industry with and like i feel like one of the great things about having you on this podcast is like you are kind of connected to so many major moments in history whether it's like you know the undertaker the attitude era helping cena get over Yes. Even your like, you know, broadcasting, you know, background, like, I guess like the first question is like, is there a part of your career that you kind of look at that? Like you look at most fondly of the most? I don't know. That's a good question. It's a great question, actually. And I don't know. Cause I, they were so different. You know, I started in, in Texas and I got to wrestle with the Von Erics and the Freebirds. That was a dream come true for me. Cause I, I it was in high school when the Von Erics and the Freebirds were rolling in Texas. Yeah. And so, and I grew up watching Fritz. I remember with, when Kevin very well started wrestling and you know, I was always been a wrestling fan. So I remember getting the magazine and seeing Kevin on the, the cover. And one day he's going to be known as Fritz is going to be known as Kevin Von Erich's dad. I remember the headline was, you know, putting over Kevin. And so we're getting with, to be with those guys was just amazing. I tag team with Dick Murdoch. Uh, tag team with Bob Orton, Randy's dad, Bob Orton Jr. Uh, in Japan. And so I got to wrestle with these legends that I had watched for so long. Yeah. That was a really cool time for me. When I, you know, the Attitude Era, you know, the, these guys were more, I don't, I don't know if you say contemporaries, but I got to see Steve go from ringmaster to the hottest name in the history of the business, you know, with due respect to Bruno and, and Hulk and, and rock and scene and these other guys, but you know, I, I don't know, you know, you arguably the hottest name, you know, you, any building we put his name on stone cold, it sold out. And I got to see that rise. You know, I got to see the rise of my friend, Glenn Jacobs, who we had tag team in Europe together with this vibe meter and Zvi tag team working for Otto Vance and, and Peter William over in Bremen. And then see him go in from a dentist and a really bad character to this incredible character of Kane. And so it's, it was really cool to be able to, to see all that. And then the current generation, 
you know, I guess the third phase to me was just almost as cool. You know, I got to see I'm being phased out due to age and, and health. And I see Cena rise. I see Bob Orton's kid rise, who was my tag team partner's son. You know, and I get to see Roman Reigns come in and the Usos. I mean, the Usos to me, man, I love those two young guys. And when I saw them come in, I remember they put them on all the pre-shows because they were yeah. so good. No one knew them. And they'd stick them out there. And within 20, 25 minutes, which is an eternity for guys who aren't over, they would get the crowd with nobody knowing them and no storyline. And I just remember sitting out there in that pre-show thinking, man, these kids are freaking stars. And it's so fun to see them now as part of that group with Roman and to see them now carrying the, the, the banner for the company, you know, and going to Japan and tagging with Stan Hansen. And it's just, I, I've had so many good times and it, it's hard to say which era was better. Cause I honestly loved every bit of it. When you were coming up uh, and starting your career, was there like a heel that really inspired you that you kind of eventually took lessons from when you kind of became world champion? Yeah, there was, there was a Skandar Akbar was very instrumental in, in helping me. So was killer Tim Brooks. Uh, who was uh, Dick Murdoch's cousin and Killer tagged with uh, uh, Brody over in Japan as well. Killer was a terrific worker. Uh, and James Beard. And James Beard was the referee who was the booker also in Dallas. And those guys really shaped me and molded my career. I, I would ride with them uh, from town to town in Texas. And, and that really helped me along the way see what, uh, you know, how the business worked. Uh, tagging with Dick Murdoch also was the same. I mean, that was like a Harvard course in, in how to be a heel. Now, Dick, Dick on the same, in the same match would be a babyface heel, babyface heel, but because <laughs> Dick can do anything. Yeah. Uh, Dick's going to, Jim Cornette says Dick Murdoch is wrestling what a trick shot artist is to pull. He gets there, <laughs> he gets there in a way that you can't believe, and, yeah. and he gets there. I'd see it every night. Uh, you brought up Austin, and I know the big news nowadays is Austin is returning WrestleMania. What do you think is the biggest challenge of returning after, you know, that long of a layoff? You know, to me, and, and I haven't come back, so I don't know, but I, I know what it'd be if I was trying to get back in the ring. And it's the fact you're older. I don't have to look like JBL did back in 2004. You know, it's been 18 years. But I want to look at least decent where people don't say, who's that old man? Or that looks like JBL's dad. You know, it, it, so yeah. I'm sure Steve feels the same way. I've seen pictures of him. He looks like he's in terrific shape. And yeah, Steve, awesome. always, Steve always has been. But that to me was is the biggest thing. I, I thought if, if I ever came back or did something, yeah. I don't want to look like the old man. And yeah. I, I don't want to have to, you know, it's harder getting up and getting down. You know, and I, and I couldn't even imagine doing a match right now because that, that's the hardest part. You can do the moves. It's the simple stuff. It's hit the mat, get up, gets hit the mat, get up. That You just, you just don't, can't do that when you get older. Yeah. Steve may be able to. So I'm sure Steve, <laughs> Steve, yeah. Steve, Steve's a very proud individual. And I'm sure if Steve is going to be in the ring at all, which I, I think he will be. I have no inside information. Uh, but I, I think Steve, Steve will have uh, put the work in that. He's going to look pretty good. Like when you kind of see like an entertaining heel, like, you know, Kevin Owens is must see TV. He is so amazing. Is it hard when you're kind of over like he is to thread that needle of like getting heat while also being entertaining and not turning you off, but also not being too entertaining? To answer your question, it is. And guys who do that are very talented guys. I mean, you look at uh, there's there's a couple kind of different kinds of heels. And you look at Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is not a pure heel. He's a he's an entertaining heel. He's an attraction heel. DX is not a pure heel. They were attraction heels. That being said, 
Roman has main evented, I think somebody told me, five different WrestleManias. So it's not like one type of heel is better than the other. But yeah. to me, being a pure heel is different from what, say, Kevin Owens does as an entertaining heel or Roman Reigns does as an entertaining heel. It doesn't make one better. It doesn't make one worse. But it just makes it makes them different. To me, it's like Batman uh, and, and uh, the Joker. The Joker was an entertaining heel. You know, whereas the governor on Walking Dead was just a pure heel. And that's what I wanted to be, like the Battle of Bastards and Game of Thrones. You know, that's that's the heel that that I wanted to be. And most people don't want to be that type of heel. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I always have such a big respect for Corbin, um, just because he always kind of feels like currently like he is down to be the heel. Um, and like it's just become such a rare and rarer thing. Do you realize how many tag teams pitch to the creative writing team? a an idea and they go just like you know how apa had their poker game. you know what's it's, funny is because before apa and, th- and there were a couple of integrated tag teams you had the dudleys in ecw you had uh coco and owen uh you had briscoe and thunderbolt back in the carolinas before that but there weren't really you know big out of the big big two when you got the big two you always had groups with groups so yeah. you had um, natives with natives, you had cowboys with cowboys, you had blacks with blacks, whites with whites, uh, Englishmen with Englishmen. Ron and I were kind of, were different in that. And I, when that success happened, then you started seeing more uh, parodies of that come about. You know, Dustin and Booker T probably wouldn't have come about if Ron and I hadn't been right before that. Or like if they, they'd have been the first, if if they would have. I was. It was so awesome. And like, there was a clip online the other day um, for an anniversary of such an amazing, and like you have fond memories of things like from, you know, growing up or like, you know, when you first see it and it never holds up, but it was a scene from raw, of you know, in the poker game, it's for the, it's for the draft and it's you and Ron playing poker drinking. And then Regal comes in really, really <laughs> just trying to stir the pot and like kick the hornets us with you two about going to different shows. And there's just like such magic, not only just between like, you two but like between the three of you and like it just shows like how much fun this group of, of talent had together to have like such natural amazing chemistry yeah regal was was so good i, I would yeah. love to have had a long program with regal in fact i was supposed to and i got tore a bicep in a match with regal and i'm not regal didn't do it but that they're going to claim that he had had done it and then he had the health problem when, when he went over to i think africa where he, he almost died i, I believe Think that's yeah. what he had. And so it never got done, but I always wanted to have a, a program with Regal because I thought it'd just be great. This old country boy with this rich yeah. uh, royal guy from England. It was just it was just a perfect dynamic. And people, when they came in the APA office, I think they came in kn- knowing that they're pretty much going to play the straight guy, but that was okay to guys. You know, yeah. The Rock did it. The Undertaker did it. I mean, Mr. T did it. LL Cool J. Rebecca Rowe <laughs> through, you know, and, but they wanted to be part of it, and they knew that it was that it was a work, and they knew they were going to want to be part of that that creative process, and it was it was a lot of fun to be able to do that. It's such a from having that as like a writer at WWE, it's such a awesome tool to kind of get a whole thread of a whole show out, and like you guys like that kind of like looking back at old Raws like you guys like were kind of like the the point guard of the show at times where like not like kind of like a, a scoring point guard but kind of like a traditional Isaiah Thomas just like moving the ball around and getting like the whole narrative of the night you know having the epicenter for that narrative be at the poker game it was it's so cool to kind of go back and watch that and like yeah it's such an underrated part of like what 
like kind of kept the attitude or going in such a strong way. Yeah, it was such an easy transition, uh, you know, to go from, you know, from whatever you needed and to, to move a storyline along in a poker game instead of just a backstage segment or, you know, which you can only do so much backstage. You know, you got an office, you got a door, and, you know, at least with me and Ron, you got beer cans, you got the yeah. cards, you got money, you got all kinds of two stupid guys that are liable to say anything. So many tag teams want to be the APA. We yeah. had fun, you know, yeah. and we got to do, we got to do cool stuff also. You know, we had the, we had the, the office. But we also got to do all the bar fights. And so we got to do some really cool stuff that was not centered in the middle of the arena. And because of that freedom that we had, you know, we, we really got to do some things that were memorable. One question that uh, I want to ask you about, because I've uh, somebody asked me to ask you, uh, R-Truth, uh, Ron Killings, uh, very close to him. And I was like, hey, is there anything interesting I asked John? And he sent me about four audio messages on my phone about how you would rib him about his theme song. I still do I still do every time I see him. Do you know that he has changed the theme song song because of it? He has changed lyrics in it because of you. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. a win. Yeah. I, love I, don't truth. Ever, I don't know if he's ever told you that, but he was like, Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, but we had so was, much fun with truth. You know, he's he's just a wonderful person. And, and he, you know, he just takes things so well. And he's one of those guys when you ribble, he sells it, like, you know, in the in the back with nobody around. He'll sell it, you know, big. And, and he's and he's very he's a very intelligent guy. He obviously he couldn't play that character if he wasn't a very smart guy. Yeah. And so he always comes back with something very funny. And uh, yeah. Ron and I had so much fun with him, and I've had fun with him over the years, ribbing him over that theme song. It's the line about the uh, what the young uh, the young well, something like, about the the best young something, and I said. You got to cut that young out. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll send you the voicemails. Is the young OG or the young? Yeah, something. young OG. It's young, young OG. OG. And nice. I said you, you got to cut that young out. And I would I'll, say it with him all to him all the time. I'll I'll send it to you after. But essentially, he was like he started yeah, doing it's it when the funny I was thing is, You mentioned your nickname, uh, Shooter Duck. Shooter. Which, uh, you know, some some people get mad when you get like you know. I gave Fred Freddie Prince Scooby Doo. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't know he hated it. Yeah, I didn't know he hated it until I, later. You know, Freddie and I became really good friends, uh, but I didn't know that he thought I was just taking a, a shot at him, which I really wasn't doing. I I, I liked Scooby Doo, and I thought <laughs> I thought it was funny. Yeah, I liked Shooter Dunn. I thought it was great. And to it, me, you give guys nicknames because you enjoy being around them. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I wanted you on this show, just because like you've always been nice and like I'll say this. I so I. When I started at WWE, I I was a massive wrestling fan growing up, and I debated. Even though I was a massive wrestling fan, I debated about pl- applying for the job, knowing you know writers aren't always the most loved uh, people backstage, um, yeah. and the turnover rate's quite high. And I think you have to kind of have like a real respect for uh, for the wrestlers and like, you know, in the production meetings, like, you know, if this is somebody's seat, it's their seat, you respect it, you kind of respect the business because Lord knows, like, I've never taken a bump um, and I've never sacrificed my body. Um, but I was like really nervous when I started. And like, you, I started right when you were producing and I had to go up and give you an update uh, regarding a Sami Zayn Braun Strowman promo because you were <laughs> producing the physicality. And Lord Jesus, I was scared out of my mind. And you were nothing but the nicest guy. And like I, I learned, I was like throughout the whole time, like, like yeah. even towards the end of my time there, like I was working on like one of the pay-per-views and we were debuting Keith Lee a couple weeks earlier. And I was like, hey, John. And like, 
you know, for context, if you're on the pre-show at WWE, uh, like you're, you're there, you're there early. And then you like, you don't want to stick around for the whole show. So like, it's a, it's a big ass to have somebody on that show stick around. And I was like, John, like, like, and I've had people not be happy about with me for asking. Um, but I asked John and I was like, Hey, like, do you mind sticking around doing a backstage with Keith Lee to kind of like make him feel bigger than life? And like, you were so excited to do it. And like, you were like, just to help and like give back. And like, you're like asking about his football background and like, it made, you know, obviously Keith isn't there right now, but like, it made him feel a lot bigger kind of coming in that like a legend was there, you know, asking yeah, like to represent. I heard so much about Keith Lee. That's one of the reasons, you know, about it. About it. And I was interested in his background. He was from Texas. I didn't know, you know, I figured a guy that big had to be a pretty good athlete. I had to be a good athlete. He's a good athlete. Had to use that athletic athleticism in some type of sport. So that's why I was so interested in, in his background. But yeah, you know, I, I love doing stuff like that for, for guys that are coming along. Cause guys did that for me, you know, my Vader, Vader, uh, who's going in the hall of fame, his last pay-per-view match, he asked to work with me. And to this day, I mean, I, I have all the love and respect for, for Leon for doing that. And he told me before the match, he said, listen, he said, you're getting the old Vader today. He said, I'm going to come out smoking. And he did, man. He beat me half to death. And he said, but, and he said, I want you to kick out of my finish. He said, when you beat somebody, I want you to beat the old Vader. And I always thought that was so cool that somebody would, would do that for me yeah and you know if somebody does that for you 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 got to pass that along and that's why when when anybody asks something like that for a young guy i'm always happy to do it because that's what we're supposed to do yeah that's awesome um and like yeah it it, it meant so much like anytime like you stepped up a play for so much young talent there um is there any young talent right now that excites you as a like your inner wrestling fan yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of enamored with Riddle. You know, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I said I don't understand him. You know, it's a character like Piper to me. Yeah. You know, there's something about him that's that's a star. And, it, it, you know, Piper, you couldn't really figure it out. You know, you just knew that that was Roddy Piper. You know, when, when Piper, when Vince got Piper from Georgia and the Carolinas, that's when the Briscoes decided to sell Georgia Championship Wrestling because they knew when Piper was gone, they were dead. Piper was that big a star, but Piper's not one of those guys that you can just kind of put a finger on and go, this is why he's a star. Riddle's kind of like that to me. And, and there's something about him that, that draws people to him. And I think, I think he's going to do really well. Yeah. It's so funny. I, so I did his first promo at NXT in the Staples center. Now, now the crypt. Uh, but, um, and he, he was really nice, uh, really nice all day, really easy to work with, but like you, I was not confident in the promo. Yeah. Uh, and then he's in the ring and, you know, red light performer just like turns it on. And it's like, it's amazing when you're kind of with those talents like that, who just like, you know, just can flip the switch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's been great for Randy, you know, Randy's yeah. been the top guy for so long that you show a complete different side of Randy, kind of like, you know, Daniel Bryan did with Kane and, but you extend a career that with that way too. You know, Randy will probably go well, – will go back to being a singles wrestler eventually and go back in the main event and fight for titles and stuff like that. And this will just have prolonged his, his career, but also gives him a lot more depth. Yeah, and saving so many bumps too. Like, you know, real can take those for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, John, John, you brought up current stars, the current product. Who would be in your cabinet currently today? 
Uh, a couple guys, Baron Corbin. There's no doubt about it. I, I love, I love Baron. Uh, Shelton Benjamin. Uh, not a doubt. He's yeah. not a current star, but Sheldon Benjamin is one of the most entertaining guys I've ever been around. He used to be yeah. a Slim Whitman of me that was, he'd walk pigeon toed and he'd do <laughs> unbelievably yeah. funny. Sheldon is a, is a, is an incredible entertainer. I would yeah. love to have Sheldon in the, in the cabin, much less forget about the fact that he's one of the best athletes to ever come through the, the company. Uh, I'd love to have Otis and Chad. I think that, that <laughs> <was> just that <laughs> would be fun. Guys, yeah. Those two guys are awesome. And you got to have a little diversity. So I, you know, as far as gender, so I, I think Sonia Deville to me would okay. be a, a really cool character. She has a wonderful look, and she's a smart lady. And I think I'd love to have Sonia in there as well. And and um, uh, Damian Priest. I think yeah. this, Damian uh, to me is. Uh, that guy's got star written all over. Yeah, he's got the 100%. look. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was at NXT, and I, just because it feels like it's something like to, you're such a wrestling historian, you're around through parts of his career, you know, Damon got a lot of comps to uh, Scott Hall. Um, and obviously, you know, this podcast will probably be released next week. Right now, we're about, I think, eight or nine days since he passed away. Um, I was wondering, like, if, if you have any Scott memories you want to want to share. Sure. Yeah. Scott was uh, Scott was terrific to me. You know, people always talk about the click and, and that, that that's such BS. Uh, there, there was not animosity in the locker room back in the attitude era. And before that, I was there. I, there, there wasn't people the revisionist history goes back and says that bsk didn't like the canadians the canadians didn't like the, the click that's just simply not true you had some personal issues obviously you know brett and sean did not like each other uh and, you know which has been documented by, by both those guys uh but as far as the the crew the crew was actually a pretty good crew we just weren't making any money and scott hall was on top of the world when i came in he was fantastic to me and, and he didn't have to be he did that just because uh, he was being very gracious to me. He, I worked with Scott a lot. He was one of the best minds that I've ever been in the ring with. It was just a calm way that he had of calling the match. That was just fantastic. He's very similar to me as far as calling matches as Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts was had, had a terrific brain. And when I worked with Jake, he was older and had been hurt a lot. He couldn't do much. You know, physically, he was you know, they had lost a step because of his injuries, but man, he was awesome in the ring. Just like Scott, Scott was incredible in the ring. I just watched the match again uh, with Briscoe on our podcast, the, the ladder match with him and Sean, which I think is the greatest ladder match of all time. But man, watching those guys in their prime, it, yeah. it's unbelievable how good they were. My, uh, my dad took me to that match as a kid and I was like, it's still like, I've been to Yankees world series games and stuff, but like, that's still like it, it tops it for me. Um, it was such an amazing night. Um, and like, it's, it's crazy when you have a pay-per-view like that, especially like a mania where it's like yeah. the main event is not the, the thing you remember most. Right. Yeah. And, and remember that match, which uh, Bret Hart was the one that at first had brought up the ladder match in. They did it at a house show. I think he and Sean did it. Then they took Bret's idea and put it into WrestleMania 10. You know, when, when Sean had, was out of the company, never sent the, the championship belt back. And so you got the, the perfect chance for the ladder match, but it had never been done before. 
you know, since then it's been done about 2 million times. <laughs> they were independent yeah. in the world right after that started doing ladder matches. But you look at those spots they were doing, everybody's doing those spots now. And they were the originator of all of them. Now, Brett May and Sean and that house show may have figured out some of those spots, but that was the first time you had seen it. Yeah. It was, um, you know, when I was at NXT, like I, when you're there, you're kind of sitting in like a room with like at the time, like Hunter and Sean and hearing here, seeing Sean put a ladder match together is one of the coolest things you'll ever see. Um, speaking of like ladder matches, do you have a favorite gimmick match? You know, I did the bull rope match a lot, uh, because I've been from Texas. So uh, when I remember <laughs> when I went to Europe, I had a bull rope match with Luke Poyer, who ended up coming, <laughs> uh, he was Rambo and he came as one of the truth commission guys, really talented guy, really over. He was the champion over in Europe at the time and the match drew well and it went really well. We had three bull rope matches in the next week because Otto thought this is great. So they just, yeah. you know, it's bull rope match you can't do very often. They're, you're very limited. I had the bull rope match with Eddie. And by the way, a great story on that was they're looking for a finish. And I think Dusty was with Impact Wrestling at the time, I think. And anyway, he's working for a different company. Vince told Bruce, he said, call Dusty and get a finish. So he called Dusty <laughs> and Dusty gave us that finish. That's great. Uh, that's so awesome. Um, you know, I enjoyed I enjoyed cage matches. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoy, but I, I enjoyed the the bull rope matches as well. It was, it's pretty simple match to do, and there's a lot of thing more things you could do with it than than you think. Yeah, um, you know, you brought Vince. Um, I, I try not to I try not to say his name too much uh, because I know uh, having having worked there, but uh, <laughs> I think like one of the cool things about being there that you like learn being around him is like he cares about teaching and like he cares about passing things on and like growing people not just as professionals but as people um is there like one thing you took from him more than anything else that was kind of like a really good lesson that you know he stays with you in a bigger way than others yeah there's been so much uh you know i used to fly with with vince um every week back to New York. Cause I was working when I, when I first retired from getting hurt, I was doing commentary and I was working on wall street. So I'd fly back every Monday night with Vince and then I'd fly out with him a lot of times uh, as well, or, or Tuesday night, whenever it was that I was flying back. And so a lot of times he'd just be us on the plane and it's just, it was unbelievable to listen to the guy. Vince is the guy in a meeting that always asks the question that you wish you had asked. You know, there's always that guy who asks a question, you go, why didn't I think about that? Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. It's the great engineer compared to the good engineer. You know, the good engineer designs something. People go, how do you, how does that work? Yeah. That's incredible. The great engineer designs it and you go, oh, I could have done that. But that's the, that's the simplicity of intelligence. And Vince was always that guy who just, he would, and I tell people when they talk to Vince, you got to understand, he's going to listen to every word you say. He's not going to interrupt you. And when he gets, when you get done, he's going to think for a second. And it's going to be uncomfortably long, but when he comes back, very like, uncomfortable, <laughs> he's going to have an answer for you. You've been there, you know, yeah. and it's amazing. Cause normally when you talk to a guy that, that has a million things going on, they interrupt yeah. you. They interrupt you and go, okay, I'm going here. Vince doesn't interrupt you. He'll just sit there and listen to every single word. And then he'll think about it for a second and then he'll come back with an answer. And it's just, it's a remarkable trait for my guy. It's, it's, you know, from my standpoint with that stuff, it's, you know, it's, for me, Vince has been in my life since I was seven years old. So, like, first going in there and doing that was just, like, it was so intimidating. But, you know, 
I went to film school. Like I, I've worked on numerous different TV shows. Like I, I've learned more about three act structure from Vince by how he puts stories together in matches. And you know, these, these shows like Raw, SmackDown, they're very hard to execute. Um, but like, you know, Vince understands like psychology and stories so well. It's so amazing you know, when you kind of get to be near him and hear those things. I remember one day we had uh, Fandango and uh, who was his tag team partner? Oh, Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze, terrifically talented young guy. Both those guys, incredible talent. Yep. And they wanted to – they had finally got this big tag team match on a pay-per-view. And they had this whole match lined out. There was all this stuff. And Vince didn't like it. And you could tell he didn't like it. And everybody in the room disagreed with Vince. He wanted to bring out a mop at one point. He wanted to that was in Chicago. Point. That was in Chicago. Yeah. And I think it was Backlash. So you were, it, it, you, were you there? Yeah, I was there. I, oh, it was like, mean? it was, I'll, I have a tag, I have a, bit, a button for this story. I'll let you go. So it, it were, everybody's against it. And I'm sitting in the back and, and I, I'm pretty much against it too. But yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, I, I could tell, first of all, Vince had his mind made up. <laughs> and, and second of all, sometimes he's right. Not sometimes. Most of the time he's right. But when you, when you, when you look at it, you go, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I've seen so many times yeah. where he was right. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to let this play out, however it plays out. Not my match anyway. Yeah. Road dog afterwards, I remember him sitting there saying, you know, it could be like chocolate and vanilla ice cream. They're both good. <laughs> and he said, this may work. Nobody thought it would work. It worked like gangbusters. It was unbelievable how over they were after that match. And everybody's like, okay, all right, maybe you know just a little bit. <laughs> it, it was one of the matches of the night. And you know, just for context, too, it's like Chicago is such a tough market and right. such a, a, a smart mark market. And like they're doing stuff with like it's going back to the Usos, too. The Usos were the heels in that match. Like they were they were doing stuff with like a mop, and it was just like so great. Oh. Road Dog, I got the impression, and I don't want to speak for him. I got, I got the impression he, he did. I, I do remember him saying the chocolate vanilla. I, I also remember him not being happy. Uh, yeah, well, most most but, people weren't. Yeah. I mean, almost the whole room, the whole room that spoke up disagreed yeah. with Vince yeah. completely, and I mean disagreed completely with Vince. And they were saying stuff like, "Hey, this is these kids finally got a chance. They're both great workers. Let's let them have this match." And Vince just, nope, this is what we're going to go with. Yeah. And I remember Road Dog after the match, he was like, you know what? I was wrong. He was right. <laughs> um, it was it was really an amazing thing. And, like, it kind of goes back to, like, you know, when I started the company, a, a lead writer at the time told me a story. Like, he was there as the Yes chant was getting over. And, you know, it was, like, the hottest thing in the company. And Vince wanted to stop doing it. And he's like, what, what are we do? What are we doing? It's like it's the best thing we have, and then it got even more over by not doing it. And he has such like a good sense of psychology. Yeah, he would always tell me when I do commentary. He go, he when I first started, he said, "John, it's not radio. You don't have to tell him it's a drop kick. You don't have to tell him it's a Saito suplex and show off that you know what it was." Yeah, yeah. People, people can see that. They need to know who this character is and why they should care about him. And once you realize that, then you understand Vince's mindset for commentary, which to me always made sense. Yeah, I mean, he did. And like, I think like, you know, one question, the first time I did Nick's podcast that came up and like, I almost brought it up early, like earlier uh, was Michael Cole. Yes. And I, when we're talking about our truth, because like we did a 24-7 thing at Christmas and truth, speaking about how smart he was, like we wrote a joke where he, 
Santa say was going to give him coal and like uh, truth yelled back. Nobody wants no more Michael Cole. Um, but, but you truth know, is the like, best. Yeah. I just, I, when I see him come on TV, I just, I love it because I love oh, truth. Yeah. We, we were talking about it today. Like we, we were talking about our, we, we had like a good talk today and like our, um, I, <laughs> he is, he is so, it's such a crazy character, but like you get the best jokes. Like we became friends when I pitched him hiding him in foreign announcers row for the 24 seven title. And like, since then it's been just awesome. But like when we were talking about like the Michael Cole thing, it was like, you know, some people don't understand how hard that job is, but you've done that job. Why is being the lead announcer of Monday night raw uh, difficult? You know, it's, it's completely different from sports. Uh, you know, in sports, you want to be a step ahead. Uh, you know, you want to say that a, that a free safety's walked up that frees up the Mike linebacker to blitz because that that opens up the the audience into what potentially could happen. In wrestling, you don't want to say, "Hey, I think that's the Undertaker coming." You want to be a step behind because you want to let the audience realize what's going on because it'll mean so much more to them. That's why announcers will say what is seems to be really stupid stuff. Who is that? Well, you know exactly who it is. It's a guy who's been on TV for the last 52 weeks, but you're letting the audience gather in their mind so they become more engaged. And I don't know if that's it or it's just the many things. I mean, you've heard on the headsets. I've been out there. They with are. They oh, are not. We're dropping 56. We're going 57 to on-camera read. 58 is going to be put on after the break. We got to have 59 during the match. And this is all happening while you're talking. And they're telling Michael Cole this. And Cole is just simply he's taking notes while he's talking, and he'll sit there and just call every bit of it seamless. It, yeah. he, is, he is he is the most he's the most amazing announcer that I think I've ever that I've ever worked with. And anybody who sees this who's a wrestling fan are probably going to hate me for saying that, but Cole Cole is is fantastic. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real heel move to go on that island, but I'm there with you. Uh, as a person who has been on like headset for football games or like, you know, at, at late night talk shows or like daytime talk shows, what Cole has to deal with is so different. And just like from a writer's standpoint, and like you, you dealt with this too, as a producer at WWE, like you're on, you're on headset and you're, you're giving, you know, the truck what's coming up. So they know all the different things to, to hit. And when you hear Kevin Dunn on that headset, geez Louise, he is, is, he is going, um, a million miles a minute and he is juggling like every play in the world and it is like impressive to hear and overwhelming to hear and Cole's hearing that too and it's just so like but then like you have to get out like you have to call the action you have to call the story you have to call all these different things it's just incredible. Yeah, I think impressive. a lot of it I think a lot of it with Cole came uh, the, the animosity you know for one it, it's the cool thing to dislike people you know it's not yeah. cool to, it's not cool to say they're really good because then people say no what about gordon Soley? what about jim ross what about lance russell you know and then that's the cool thing to say it's not cool to say that this guy's really good because you know that's not what people do especially on the internet but cole also was a heel for a long time that was really hated yeah, yeah. really hated and because of that i think a lot of people have conflated michael cole with that heel run yeah. And I think a lot of that residual has left over from, from the heel run of people uh, disliking Michael. You know, you, you talk about people doing so many different things. I've, I've, I've seen Vince where he's producing, he's calling for camera angles. He's calling for the wrestlers. He's calling for a change in the match. 
and he feeds me a line that doesn't make a lot of sense until <laughs> I realize that he just fed a line right before that to Michael Cole, who says something. And then, then I've got this line to say yeah. that Cole, Cole has said something. And then here's Vince. Like he, it's, it's amazing the amount of stuff he's able to do there. And, and Kevin, I mean, those two guys, that's the heart and soul of WWE. You know, those two guys, their fathers work together. They grew up in this business. If you ever want to compete with WWE, get Kevin and Vince out of there because there are yeah. some wonderful people around them, but that's the heart and soul of WWE. Yeah. yeah it's I, I seeing Kevin John work. You learn so much stuff and same with Vince. It's just, you know, it's, it's so impressive. And like at the end of the day, like this has those two guys, they have taken a, a business that was a regional business and turned it global that seven hours, seven hours a week on TV and constantly touring. Like they know what they're, they know what they're doing. Um, one person you mentioned that I wanted to ask you about uh, is is Bruce. Um, I think like I, I feel I learn more from Bruce than most other people. Uh, in your mind, like what makes Bruce such a great wrestling mind? Because I feel like at times people think like he's a Vince guy maybe because of the podcast, um, but I feel he shoots it straight on the podcast, which kind of hurts him at times. About like you know he's not talking about drama that's made up, but like. When I've been around him, I've seen him like really care about character, really care about story, really care about like the whole totality of the show and not just like one single segment. Yeah, Bruce has a backbone. I mean, the, the he is, you know, Bruce is not a yes man. He will disagree with anybody if he thinks that he's right. And that that includes Vince. You know, that he may not do that in public as you know, as you as you would normally not do in, in the yeah. way that you would disagree on something creative. Uh but Bruce is a guy who stands up very strongly for what he believes. And he grew up in the business, just like uh, Dr. Tom did as well. And Bruce just has a terrific mind. You know, he and Pat and Vince uh, and, and Briscoe, kind of in that loop, Briscoe ran more of the towns. Um, but those guys really were the foundation of WWE from the Hogan era till almost till now. Uh, you know, of course, Pat's gone and Jerry's not there anymore with the company but bruce was there has been there the whole time i mean what he's seen and done bruce can lay out stuff that's unbelievable he said okay we want to do this and bruce will come up with all right and he'll come up with a six-month angle coming back with you and you're saying i was just talking about next monday (laughs) (laughs) bruce is a bruce is a really smart guy and bruce is a really good guy he cares about the business and he cares about people yeah Yeah. i um I, before I left the company, I had a, I found myself in quite the heat spot. Um, and there have been a lot of people who like, you know, listen, what, the thing that sucks about the wrestling business and like, it's one of the good things about AEW is not a lot of jobs out there when it comes to wrestling. And sometimes people won't have your back. Um, Bruce had mine on uh, a night that I would like to have a do over where something wasn't totally my fault, but I was an easy, you know, I was an easy bag man. And yeah. he, he stood up for me in such a good way. Hey, John, I know you brought up Impact Wrestling earlier. What are your thoughts on the current Impact Wrestling champion, Moose, calling himself the wrestling god? I, I don't watch a lot of other wrestling other than WWE, and I don't mean any, any disrespect to anybody at, at AEW or Impact. I just don't have time to yeah. come watch it. You know, there's only so much you can watch. And look, I've been retired a long time. And if he wants to, to steal the name, I stole a gimmick from Ted DiBiase. So yeah, th- that's the, <laughs> good luck to him, and I hope he does well with it. Yeah, 
Um, I had no, I had no issues with it. I mean, no. look, I, I created the phrase in a backstage segment where we were uh, yes, pretty much did. half in the bag from drinking me and Doug Basham. And they said, we need a segment real quick. And we were back in the back and we'd had a few. And, and I said, well, I've, I've had a few. And they go, that's okay. We're doing it as if you have had a few. We need to kill some time. And Basham says something about, you're, you're a wrestling, you're, you're a god. I said, yeah, I'm a god. He goes, you're a wrestling god. That's where it came about. So, But if somebody's using that now, I, good luck yeah. to them. Yeah, I don't mean that as snarky. I, I mean that sincerely. I mean, yeah. Thanks again, Chris Dunn. And to you, the legendary Hall of Famer JBL for coming on the show. You just listened to part one. Part two will drop next week on YouTube and all audio platforms thanks again for tuning in you can find us on twitter at the uw pod and instagram at uw podcast yeah baby <laughs> and here it comes. thank you for listening to another edition of the universal wrestling podcast check us out on the web at uwpod.com you've got mail or send us an email we really don't know what we're dealing with here man Info at uwpod.com. Universal Wrestling Podcast. Nobody does it better.